Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Bite-Sized Virtue. This is episode eight in our ongoing march through the Easter season. Um, oops, missed last week, unfortunately. Um, just too many things stacked up, did not have time to cut and edit the episode, so getting a little bit of a longer episode tonight, continuing the discussion with Clortos Dragon about the principle of love, the virtue of compassion, both from Ultima Lore, and how these relate to... Um, real-world philosophies surrounding, well, especially love. Um, we talk in this episode, we talk a fair bit about mercy and compassion and examples of mercy and compassion and things like the corporal works of mercy. So, um, you know, uh, really, I mean, very, very kind of at the forefront right now in the Catholic Church, of course, uh, thanks to Pope Francis, you know, he puts a lot of emphasis on the, the poor and the care of the poor and the downtrodden. And so we do touch on that, and we relate that back to some of the games that we've played. Uh, Divinity Original Sin, Ultima 4, Ultima 6. We also talk a little bit about virtues and their anti-virtues, and how Ultima actually doesn't really adequately represent all of the opposition that exists to each virtue. I also want to apologize. There was not a spam, spam, spam humbug episode this week. We were going to record one on the weekend, and unfortunately, that just it fell through. So we will be continuing the aging gamer topic uh, with the next episode, which I believe we're recording this Friday. So look for that next week. Anyway, on that note, let's dive into the discussion. Why do we exalt mercy as? the highest form of love? Why do we praise compassion as being the most perfect expression of love? I mean, think about the people who are really most in need of our compassion, right? It's, it's the poor, it's it's the downtrodden, it's, it's the, the disadvantaged. It's not the uh, it's not the investment banker, right? Well, actually, there's an even better question: is like, why do we think of you know the guy panhandling outside the office building? You know, like on the one hand, you know, when we think, and again, this gets back to the depictions that we see on like some of the tarot cards. Uh, you know, why is it that? compassion, mercy are, you know, depicted as being poured out on the poor and the downtrodden. I mean, why, I guess the broader question could be, you know, what's, what's the deal with the poor and the needy? Why, what makes them be of interest here? You know, I mean, you can have a panhandler sitting outside an office building, you know, and I mean, probably there's a lot, probably he has a lot of problems. You know, he's not just panhandling because he wants to be. I mean, there could be addictions in play there. There could be mental illness in play there. Um, and it's entirely possible that any cash that does fall into his hat uh, is just going to be spent on things that will further entrap him in the mess that he's already in. And yet, it's these kind of people, and not, say, the people inside the office building who have their own problems, that 
we tend to think of as being, you know, most in need of um, what uh, in the Catholic sense would be called corporal mercy, right? Or, you know, just the, uh, the, 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 I, the corporal works of mercy. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Not particularly, but uh, would that refer to basically just simply helping them out and giving them a meal or something like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. okay. The corporal, the corporal works of mercy are to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to harbor the harborless, to visit the sick, to ransom the captive, and to bury the dead. Okay? So, you're basically getting back to the parable of the goats and sheep at this point, you know, right? Whenever you did it to the least among you, you did it to me. That's kind of the, uh, that's the whole idea of behind the corp, what we call the corporal works of mercy. And that's just a, a fancy title for basically saying, you know, physical works of mercy, right? You know, it's just, uh, works of mercy that we carry out, um, person to person and which deals with the physical aspect of persons, right? There are also spiritual works of mercy, um, which are to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish the sinful, to bear wrongs with patience, to forgive offenses willingly, to comfort the afflicted, and to pray for the living and the dead. So, you know, I mean, so you see the distinction there. Corporal, very much concerned with the physical aspect of persons, spiritual, very much concerned with their spiritual side. Um, but, you well, know, that leads. Oh, good. It's just at the same time, you know, like it's interesting that so much of love and compassion and mercy are really focused on, you know, the people who are less fortunate, let's say, than us. That's not the best term to use, but that's what I've got right now, right? Because it's not like, you know, I mean, sure, you know, I can go to my office and I can look at all the guys around me and I mean, none of us is homeless. None of us is out on the street. None of us is begging for our next meal. Does that mean that we don't have a lot of stuff going on under the surface that is, you know, do we not have real problems? Well, yeah, we do. Um, but I well, think the, it's, well, okay, you know, you go, cause I'm not, I'm sorry. This thought anyways. Well, well, the, the, I think the distinction that you've got there, you know, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the, uh, kingdom of heaven. Um, poor in spirit doesn't refer to material wealth or being poor in that sense. It refers to the fact that we don't have anything to give to God except ourselves. And so we're poor. We're, 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 you know, we're essentially paupers. Um, you know, Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in revelation three, that you think that you're rich, but Hey, you're poor and blind and naked. And, and they thought with their material wealth that they were okay, but they really had this spiritual dearth. They had this spiritual uh, poverty, and they didn't realize it. So I think what, what you've got there is, you know, the man who's begging on the street corner, he's got probably both, right? <laughs> he's probably got, uh, got uh, physical uh, 
poverty as well as spiritual poverty. Um, and, and but I'll tell you, though, I live in a country. I don't know how it is in Canada, but I live in a country here where if what I hear is to be believed, you have people who are labeled in the poverty level who have, uh, you know, HDTVs and, and Xboxes. So you know, that's where it gets kind of, you know, crazy. I, I want to I want to be able to. By the way, I thought about this a few a few minutes ago in an, in a role playing game one day. I don't know if this has already been done. I want the option instead of just throwing money at these beggars that are in these worlds. Uh, I want the option to be able to take them around or ask around the town and see. You know, does anybody have a job for them? Does anybody have a place where I could get help them to get work? <laughs> There's you know. a tiny bit of that in um, Divinity Original Sin. There are right. at right. least there's some out of work um, boatsmen who you can uh, set up with one of the other captains in town. In I remember that Sci Seal. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there there there's like three or four out of work boatsmen on the dock, and there's a captain over in the marketplace in Sci Seal that you can, uh, that'll basically take them on as crew. So. I just always thought that was fairly binary. Either, you know, the only way you can help them is to toss some gold their way. And, uh, in a lot of respects. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's all, that's pretty much all that's ever been done in like Ultima, right? Whether it's the, uh, the woman who you can choose whether to cheat or not in Ultima four or like, um, old Yabara in uh ultima six right deep down in the dungeon um i always thought it was weird it's like well i mean he's down in the dungeon and he's obviously lost and gone mad from fear and yeah i can actually i think you can give yabara food I, i'd have to double check that because i mean what would gold be of use to him it's uh <laughs> you know he's lost in dungeon shame he's got plenty of gold there's gold nuggets all over the floor you know i think you can give him food but still, like, why can't you then lead him out entirely? And I mean, I'm sure a lot of that just comes down to technical limitations, right? Because they had kind yeah. of reached uh, the maximum number of companions that they could cram into the game. You might be down there with the maximum number of companions. Um, not that your companion would stay down there, of course. He'd leave all his equipment down there and then run back to the town you recruited him in. But um, I don't know, probably a technical limitation, possibly a narrative oversight, though. But it would be better to probably lead Yabara out of the darkness. But at the same time, where would he go once he gets there, right? Because he's been down there so long, he's lost it. You know, he's he's completely out of it. So once you get him out of there, what does he do? Where does he go? Um, a lot of yeah. interesting questions come up around that, I suppose. <laughs> um, which kind of gets us back to, you know... Uh, the, these whole idea of these, you know, the corporal works of mercy and these, I, you know, um, how far do you, how, how far are we expected to take them, um, as people who act out of love? Um, and what I think is really interesting is that, you know, if you're looking to scripture for an answer, there's no clear answer because like, I mean, think about the rich young man, right? he's he's lived the law he's followed the prophets he has you know observed all the teachings uh what must i do teacher and jesus said sell all your things give that to the poor and come and follow me right so to that person 
where he was at, Jesus asked a really high price. But at the same time, Jesus was totally willing to accept and even bless Zacchaeus's offer of half. So, yep. you know, there's not any one clear answer in terms of, you know, well, how far are you supposed to go uh, in terms of how mu- how much compassion you pour out? It really is, um, it really comes down to, you know, you and where you're at. And, you know, I, I guess, I mean... And this is something I've struggled with too, because like, you know, I used to live in the downtown area of Edmonton and, you know, you never don't see people asking for money. And there was a time when I would just think, you know, yeah, sure. I'm just, you know, I've got some cash here, have it. Um, Now, after I saw the same guy make a beeline for the nearest liquor store twice, after I gave him some cash, I kind of changed it up a little bit. In that, you know, well now, well, if you're asking for money, well, okay, what do you need, right? Because I'd rather, you know, like, let's go to Subway. I'd rather buy you some food and, you know, like have a, you know, get you some, get you a big bottle of water um, because you probably need that, at least in the immediate sense. Um, But then at the same time too, um, I've also bought people like, you know, there, there was one time where I dropped a couple hundred bucks to buy a guy a bus ticket so he could go home to Winnipeg um, because I actually had some money to spare. It was years ago, but whatever. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. Like it just, I guess, and I guess this is reflected too in, you know, these different works of mercy that I've mentioned is that it really is, you know, about what can you do in the moment to lift someone up as much as you can. Um, you know, I, I don't, I mean, for a lot of people, you're not, for probably almost everybody, really, you're not going to be able to solve their every problem and, you know, um, completely turn them around. You're in a lot of cases, you're only going to have a few minutes of encounter with them. So it really just comes down to, you know, um, yeah. What is the most you can do in the amount of time that you have? Well, you know, one thing to consider from scripture there to me is, um, you know, when I believe it's Mary Magdalene, if I remember correctly, anointing, Jesus with this costly oil. Right. Yeah. And Judas Iscariot's like, wait a minute, this could have been, this could have been sold and given to the poor. This is a waste of money. What, what's wrong with you woman basically. And uh, Jesus has this statement for him. Hey, the, the poor uh, you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish you may do them good. Mark 14, seven, but me, you do not have always. And uh, now I, I don't want to take that to its extreme to say that, well, we're always going to have poor, so don't even worry about it. Um, Obviously, something needs to be done. There is a a great level of attention given in the course of the New Testament to um, widows and orphans, for example. Um, 
and anybody who has need, you know, you, you try your best to supply that need. The, the, the biggest danger to me so often is when we institutionalize that and we think, well, we've got to get a big organization. We've got to get all this uh, funding and things like that where, uh, where we don't really, we miss the individual need to be able to provide those things. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. It's from the standpoint that, you know, sometimes when we actually make organizations to do these things, we cause more problems than we actually help. And it might be better served if everyone individually just says, okay, we're going to do the best that we can with what we have. Yeah, that's part of it. I think the other part too, and this is kind of something I um, alluded to a little bit in what I just said, um, but I'll draw it out more explicitly now. And I guess I misspoke earlier when I said that there was only one thing that annoyed me about the virtues. There is actually a second thing. And this is, I think, where they really show through as, you know, uh, the system as being, you know, a little bit simplistic, a little bit philosophically maybe immature is the fact that, you know, each virtue has only one anti-virtue. And it's, I mean, it's not that any of the anti-virtues is particularly inapt. That's not where I'm going with that. But it is more to say that, you know, is the only failing of compassion to despise someone? And the answer to that is, well, no. That isn't the only way that compassion can fail. That isn't the only thing that's actually opposed to compassion. Because on the other side, you have, um, well, I mean, you could just call it false compassion. Um, the most common way that it's manifest is through a practice that bears the psychological term enabling, right? Where, you know, and the thing about enabling is like it it does come from a place of compassion. It does come from a desire to show and do mercy. But it's it's kind of like a corruption of that because it goes too far, right? You're not you're you're hidebound and determined to help a person, but the way you go about doing that is to basically um you know, to, to cover for them in whatever struggle they are trapped in. You're not really trying to lift them up. You're just running damage control. Um, which I think too is, you know, a problem that is also very often manifest in, you know, a lot of these organizations and things that you alluded to, uh, you know, that you spoke about, which kind of pull our focus away from the individual, right? We stop, um, trying to genuinely lift people up and we kind of, you know, um, we often leave them, you know, we continue to leave them trapped where they are, but at least now we feel bad about it and we gave some money to an organization to raise awareness about it. And that's not really, you know, like it's, it's a pseudo action, right? Like it's not like we're actually doing something for the person in need at that moment in time, we're doing something that allows us to maybe make their plight known to others, but really primarily all we're doing is kind of signaling that we care uh, without actually manifesting that care in a way. 
And even then, that's a little bit different from enabling because enabling, you are actually doing something. It's just that you're doing the wrong thing. You're doing something that keeps the other person trapped in whatever they're trapped in and you're covering for them. You're just, you know, you're, you're making their excuses. Um, and I mean, I approach, I mean, in general, I approach the idea of virtue from, you know, a more Aristotelian uh, perspective which holds that, you know, a virtue really exists as kind of a golden mean between equal but opposite vices. Um, so, you know, what is, uh, what's valor, right? Well, it's kind of the midpoint between cowardice and utter recklessness, right? Uh, and similarly with compassion. It's, you know, it's kind of the midpoint between despising someone and just utterly hating them and making excuses for them or, you know, taking only those actions that will um, keep them trapped where they are, uh, but you'll feel better for feeling bad about it, right? We're coming back to the corporal works, right? You know, you're not feeding the hungry you're raising awareness about hunger and now you feel good because you feel bad about the people who are hungry, but you haven't actually bought anybody a sandwich. You haven't actually put a cloak on someone who's naked. Um, you know, um, you're, yeah. So. Yeah. I think those are the sort of subtleties that Ultima just by its very nature really maybe doesn't have the time to get into. Well, no, because um, it's not approaching it from that framework, right? Like it's just yeah. a very, you, you mentioned before, it's a very binary thing. You know, compassion has one opposite, right? And some of the games flirt with that more than others, but none of them really draw it out. And obviously if you're only seeing a virtue with one opposite and not its other opposite, um, you're necessarily missing a lot of those distinctions. <laughs> And, you know, feel feel free to cut any of this out that you would like. But, you know, one, one uh, scriptural example that I think of in terms of the enabling factor, like what you're talking about, is uh, if you look in uh, if, if you're in First Samuel one through three, uh, Eli, who is one of the last judges of Israel, um, he's got these sons who are terrors, basically, Um doing terrible things with the worship system, uh, getting things out of it, you know, just very corrupt people. And uh, the Lord basically tells him through Samuel that, uh, you know, basically the Lord tells Samuel that uh, the sin uh, that they're doing, Eli knows about, uh, his sons have made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Um, so, I mean, that's just a very clear scriptural example of that um you know the child who for example has a problem with obesity you know the 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 parent can can rightly say well i love my child and i just want to give them whatever they want well that's not really love uh because if you love that child you would do what's best for that child and again inching toward this agape love it needs to be independent of how they've treated you and it needs to be independent of what they feel 
might be best for them. If that, I want that to come across in the right way. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, it is hard, you know, and <laughs> I mean, I can speak to this as a parent, like it's, it's not usually easy to tell your kids no, especially if it's something that they love, but it is often necessary, you know, um, whether it's things like uh, diet or the activities they engage in or, you know, even to some degree who their friends are um, because, you know, yeah, as a parent, you really do want what's best for your child or I guess, you know, you want – ideally, you should want your, you know, your child to really be the sort of person who – as he or she grows up is, you know, really able to just become the most authentic expression of themselves possible. And, you know, I mean, the challenge to you as a parent is obviously being able to know and understand your child well enough to have and or to form and have a sense about what that is end is, you know, who is your child and how can you help them become the most of who they are? Uh, you know, that's your real challenge uh, as a parent is, is figuring that out. But as you figure that out, then, you know, yeah, questions do come up, you know, um, what do I teach my child about nutrition? What do I, um, <clears throat> teach my child about what to look for in a friend, what is acceptable behavior for a friend to manifest, uh, what behaviors should be avoided. You know, if people manifest these behaviors, you know, don't associate with them at least to the maximum reasonable amount that is possible. So, you know, I mean, we have these discussions with uh, our eldest all the time because she struggles with a lot of this stuff in school. And we're fortunate that she's very um, compassionate already and very insightful. Like, that's just who she is as a person. And so, there, but there are a lot of things that she struggles with as a result of that, right? Because, you know, some kids are mean and, you know, kids get clicky and, and all this stuff. And she just kind of sees it and takes it in at a distance and it hurts her, not because she's necessarily the object of any of it. It's not like, I mean, sometimes she is, but even when she isn't, you know, like she just sees this happen to other people around her and that disturbs her at her core. And, you know, then we are, um, in the position of, you know, having to help her navigate those situations and, you know, uh, figure out how to respond to them as a per and how to grow as a person through that response. Um, so, see that, that affects you drastically. It does. And it affects, it affects your, your viewpoint and what you're going for and what you're aiming for. Um, you know, I think probably if, uh, if Richard Garriott had had children when he was making Ultima four or five, uh, what we would have would probably be very different. Most likely. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that, I, I think, you know, 
obviously when you're creating something, a lot of your own imprint gets into it. Um, and, uh, it, it is interesting to see how these things have kind of, like I, like I said earlier, kind of trickled down and you see, I mean, really it, it is sort of a, a lot of people have termed it a pseudo Christian viewpoint in terms of the virtues. Um, and, and interesting thing here is the balance between them all. I think the only principle that I could say that really, um, is covered. I mean, I don't know. They, they are kind of interconnected, aren't they? Uh, truth, love, and courage. Uh, obviously, in Scripture, the most important thing is love because the way that that's uh, expressed in the New Testament, for example, is all-encompassing. Um, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, if I don't have love, everything else is pointless. Um, but then there's statements like in uh, first Timothy, I believe speaking the truth in love. So that, that sort of balance there. But even uh, so, there in Timothy, it's still putting the emphasis on love, right? Because, yes. you know, you <laughs> not that one should ever speak falsely, but, um, you know, and this is something that even I've had to kind of come to accept, um, because this hasn't always been my style, but, you know, You should always tell the truth, but how you go about telling someone the truth can make a real difference between whether they accept it or reject it, right? And that's, I think, where it's coming in is because, you know, if you're telling the truth, but in a very harsh way, that's something that a lot of people are generally going to reject, right? The message has to still be communicated with love. Love is still paramount even there because that, you know, that doesn't alter the truth of the message, but it shapes how the message is received. And ultimately you do want the message to be received. Right. Love, love conquers all. All right. I'm going to break it there. You can't ask for a better ending line than that. Thank you. Thank you again for listening. Um, Hope you enjoyed this episode. I realize it's coming a little bit late in the week and it's not a full SSSH episode, but you know what? The, I mean, these are important things to talk about and it is interesting to, you know, pick apart, I think, the, the virtues of Ultima Lore and the principles that inform them and, you know, see just how well they relate because they often do actually relate very, very well to, you know, real world ideals um, surrounding uh, what is genuinely virtuous. So... It's always nice to be able to draw out those parallels. Thank you again to Clortos for chiming in and for offering his insights. Thank you, listener, for listening. And until next time and until next week, be virtuous. <laughs>